Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. It's time for our check-in with Knight's resident film critic, Dan Sleven, who's sharing his picks for what you should be watching this weekend. Dan's on the line now. Kia ora. Kia ora. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. You have been through the cinematic equivalent of a marathon with Dune Part 2. I am absolutely frothing about this. Please tell me about it. Is it good? Well, the first thing to uh, point out is that even though it has a running time of over 160 minutes, and then if you add uh, ads and trailers to the beginning of that, it becomes quite a long period of time spent in a cinema. It doesn't feel that long. And, in fact, uh, at, at one point I actually lost track of time. I wasn't sure how much there was left to go. It felt like it was coming to a climax, but then something else would happen and a new twist would appear. And I'm thinking, I just, I actually have no idea where we're going now and how long, how long I've been here. It really is absorbing in, in that respect. And, uh, I can tell you that from, if my opinion counts for anything, it's really, really good. And I, I think that if you, this is the kind of thing you're into. And if you've, maybe seen the first film and are kind of primed for where the story's going to go, then you will be really satisfied by it. That's great. I'm thrilled to hear that because I read the book of Dune in preparation for the movie. I knew that the movie was coming out and I was like, oh, everybody talks about this book. Uh, Maybe I'll read it. And I read the book and I absolutely loved it. Have you read Dune, Frank Herbert's Dune? I I haven't. I tried when I was a teenager and I... I I couldn't get into it. I was more of an Asimov kid, you know. I really liked the kind of moral clarity yeah. of the robot stories that Isaac Asimov wrote. And then I'd made the leap to William Gibson and Neuromancer, and so I never went back to Frank Herbert and Dune. So, and now I don't have to because the films are here, mm-hmm. and uh, they I think they're doing a really fantastic job of. Um, bringing the world, the worlds uh, that he imagined to life and the characters that he imagined to life and the themes that he imagined, I think, are really woven all the way through these films. So a little bit of background for those of you who haven't read the book or haven't seen the original film. It is set uh, 8,000 years into the future and uh, there's a kind of galactic empire and the various um, planets in that empire are ruled by various houses, they call them, which sort of resembles a little bit the Game of Thrones mm. um, houses. And the uh, Atreides house is told by the emperor that they are going to become the governors of the desert planet of Arrakis. This is all in the first film. And they're going to replace the house, the house of Harkonnen, who have been kind of brutal rulers of this uh, planet. Um, they are deeply upset by this because they have been mining a magical substance called 
spice which is in the sand of this desert planet. And that spice is a kind of psychoactive agent. It uh, The key aspect of it from a plot point of view is that it allows the celestial navigators to imagine their way through the stars to actually navigate that get their way from planet to planet so it's the it's the single substance that actually allows uh intergalactic travel to happen and therefore it's the most valuable substance in the universe and it's a little, it's a little bit like if you can imagine um the entire um galactic economy is based on ayahuasca if you, you yeah know, it's um, it's people basically um, uh, absorbing this mystical, this mystical uh, substance, and so for some people who have special um, uh, acquaintance with it, they can sort of see the future, and uh, they become incredibly powerful because of it. Anyway, the Atreides are immediately overthrown by the Harkonnens, and uh, there's only two of the house left at the end of the first film, uh, young. Uh, Paul Atreides, played by uh, Timothy Chalamet, and his mother, played by Rebecca Ferguson. And they are taken in at the end of the first film by the indigenous um, people of this planet who have been attempting to overthrow their oppressors, basically, for uh, decades and uh, without a huge amount of success. But they start to believe that this young guy Paul might be the character from Prophecy who's going to liberate them. Maybe he's a kind of messiah figure because he has this gift of second sight. And that's where we end the first film. And in the second film, well, it just kicks off, basically. A whole lot of plot uh, happens, a lot of machinations. There's a lot of... um, uh, what would you call it? There was there's a, there's a lot of manipulation in going on in in the background. In fact, that's really what the film's about: is about people being manipulated, manipulated because of their faith, manipulated because of their family relationships, manipulated because of politics. And uh, we've realised that Paul himself isn't immune from manipulation. Even his own mother has an agenda of her own that he is intended to serve. We're going to play a little clip. From it here, he has been uh, taken in by the Fremen, the indigenous people of Arrakis, and he's been taught their ways. And he's about to get his first really big test, which is to see if he can ride one of the giant sandworms, and which means he has to be able to um, attach himself. These are four hundred meters long and huge and incredibly dangerous creatures, and he has to basically find himself uh, a way onto the back of one of them and learn how to steer it. So this is uh, him and Javier Bardem as the leader of the, uh, of the Fremen. Usul. I tune it myself. Here. Thanks. Don't try to impress anyone. You're brave. We all know that. Be simple. Be direct. Nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. Hey, I'm serious. Nothing fancy or you will shame my teaching. I won't shame you. I understand. Shai Hulu decides today if you become Fremen. Or if you die. I like that, Dan. Be simple, be direct, nothing fancy. Um, Does that apply to the movie itself? Um, I think that, well, it's... It's a it's 
got an enormous amount of stuff on its mind mm. and it's got a lot going on and it manages to sort of zip around to the various different uh, uh, planets and different communities and the various different forces that are shaping uh, the galactic power struggle that's going on. And it does it in ways that I think are really quite clear. Like it's not complicated. You can follow it and you get to a sense of uh, who's uh, who's good and who's bad in this particular uh, environment. But what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, the, the, the film's, and the original f- film have been criticised a little bit for kind of what what uh, some commentators call kind of white saviour complex. Mm-hmm. This idea that uh, uh, a, a, a young off-worlder will come into an a, an indigenous population and, and and rescue them. Well, there's a twist in in this particular film because uh, first of all he's a very damaged young man because he's lost in his almost his entire family in the previous film and the 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 desire for revenge is starting to corrupt him and then of course he's being manipulated by uh, all of these other forces who want to get hold of uh, this planet for their own purposes and he's just a young kid and doesn't really know um, what's happening to him he has a relationship with one of the uh, local uh, warrior women uh, played by Zendaya and it's really she's a fantastic actor and one of the real sort of highlights of this film there's there's a lot going on for her uh, in this picture but it is there's a lot of action and the action comes at really satisfying moments and it's really well done uh, and yeah I think that it, it like the film before, it is setting up another chapter. So if you want a kind of neat resolution, if you like endings and if you like um, lines to be drawn under under things, you're going to be a bit disappointed because it might be another two or three years before you get to see the next chapter. That that hasn't been greenlit, by the way. There's no guarantee that there'll be a third film. Uh, I was just looking at Wikipedia uh, today and the budget for this film was 190 million US dollars and the box office so far is 31,000 so it's got a long way to go to, to make its money back and that's what's going to guarantee you get a third film you'd so, think it would get there though right like and i i mean the, the the interesting thing i think about this is um that that it it does seem like you know the producers want to turn this into a a franchise but the dune books storyline are not like Star Wars. They're not like the Marvel movies. Things get weird really, really quickly. And I don't know that it's the kind of action movie, sequel after sequel kind of s- s- story. Um, oh. I'll, I'll be yeah, I'll be I'll be fascinated to see how things how things go in that kind of sphere. I I really liked your review on the RNZ website, Dan, and particularly you um, ob- observing that. While these this this story it's it's an old story both in terms of its fictional self and also the book it's, itself is from the mid sixties I think S- some of the themes very much have resonance in twenty twenty four maybe even resonance that's very very close to the bone in some cases. I, I think so. Uh, the first third of the film, which is where the uh, the Harkonnens have taken over the planet once again and are attempting to stamp their authority across the planet. And they the way they talk about the Fremen, the indigenous people of the planet, they call them rats and demand that they are exterminated. And 
you know, in, in the current global environment, that's very charged language, isn't it? And uh, I don't know if that was, nobody could have predicted that that would be um, as current and as, uh, as, as sort of on the nose as it has become, but it does make for quite an uncomfortable watch. Um, it's very clear, obviously, that the Harkonnens are, are the bad guys. They're, the, they're fascists. They have their parades and their uniforms and Basically, their entire home world is in black and white, and uh, but it's still it is it is still um, a tough uh, watch. I think in in some respects, the the whole Dune story is it was always intended to be a bit of an allegory. I think a rough allegory of colonialism and uh, spice was a kind of substitute for oil, and there was. Uh, both Herbert and the filmmakers of the previous film got a little bit of pushback at, at various times over the appropriation of various Middle Eastern mm. cultural tropes or um, Islamic uh, uh, cultural uh, aspects without ever becoming clearly in Islamic culture or a Middle Eastern culture. And I think one of, the, one of the things that the film does really well, this second film does really well, is we spend a lot of time in that culture. So we get a chance for the filmmakers to flesh out. So we're not just seeing, I guess, these flashes of, um, of a kind of Middle Eastern appropriation. We're seeing that they've built a genuine culture on top of those things. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you always need something that you're going to build on top of, otherwise you know, these are are fundamentally human beings. Uh, But I think that spending that time with the Fremen actually encourages you to see the the depth and the detail that the filmmakers have gone into creating uh, a really deep and detailed culture, I think. Great. I'm really excited about seeing that. Um, Let's talk, though, about the second pick that you have for us today. American Fiction. This looks cool. Yeah, this is... is Really good, and I'm surprised that this one hasn't made it into cinemas. I think that we would have been expecting it to. It has uh, a number of uh, Academy Award nominations, five nominations, including Best Picture. So, you know, that's not a trivial uh, achievement already. And it's also been nominated for uh, Best Actor for Jeffrey Wright, who's the lead character in a lead actor in it and uh, and yet the film has not made it into cinemas here in new zealand it's landed on uh, amazon's prime video service so that's where you'll find it that uh, landed a couple of days ago and it's an adaptation of uh, a best-selling novel and it's about a, uh, a, a an upper middle class writer played by Jeffrey Wright who and he's also a professor and he he writes kind of highbrow novels adaptations updating of old greek myths that sort of stuff uh, and he gets increasingly annoyed at the fact that people don't really buy his books but they do buy um books that are very much founded in black stereotypes ghetto stereotypes or uh, uh hip hop stereotypes mm. and he feels that the people who are writing these these books are basically pandering to uh, the guilt of white publishers and so in a fit of um rage and frustration at the state of things he writes his own version of one of those sort of uh, classic sort of 
um, ghetto black novels, thinking that he could get it out of his system. His agent sends it out, and of course it becomes the biggest success of his career. And he then has to... Um, do promotion for this book. He's created an uh, an alternative identity uh, of a, a convict on the run who's written this book from various uh, secret hiding places, and so he has to do sort of uh, TV interviews in the shadows. And uh, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for Jeffrey Wright to play his usual sort of buttoned up, uh, uh, tight assed. Um, person, but then he also has to play uh, this character that he's created for himself. We've got a little clip from it here, and this is before he's written the book. This is where he's attempting uh, at a bookshop to move his own books out of the African-American section. Excuse me, uh, Ned, do you have any books by the writer Thelonious Ellison? Yeah, uh, this way. Here you go. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Why, why are these books here? I'm not sure. I would imagine that this author, Ellison, is black. That's me. Ellison. Yeah. He is me, and he and I are black. Oh, bingo. No, no bingo, Ned. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. I don't decide what sections the books go in, and no one here does. That's how chain stores work. Right. And you don't make the rules. I'm just going to put them back after you leave. Don't you dare, Ned. Do not you dare. Mm. Dan... Are there sort of thematic, because it, it, it kind of sounds in a way kind of similar to the premise of, of the producers in, in, in certain senses. Is, is there an element of sort of, you know, absurd, self-aware comedy to this? Oh, it's a satire, definitely. It's yeah. a satire on the publishing industry. It's a satire about uh, white fragility. It's a satire about how uh, canny black uh, creators, whether it's in film or in literature, uh, will find a way to write the thing that will sell and what sells is what white the white publishing um, powers that be decide is what's going to sell and so it is it is it is a comedy it is uh, funny there's some sort of it's not a side splitting comedy but it is funny and uh, there's also stuff going on in his uh, family life which is actually quite sad and quite sweet and so I think it's a really good film. The main reason for watching it is just to, to experience the virtuosity of Jeffrey Wright, who ha has illuminated almost everything that he's ever appeared in. He's, ad he's elevated everything he's ever appeared in without necessarily having too many opportunities at a leading role. And I, I, know I would love to see him uh, pick up the, the Oscar here because I think that he's one of the treasures of um, modern movie making. Yeah, interesting. Nominated for five Oscars, that film, including Best Picture and Best Actor, but still not getting a cinematic release in New Zealand. Um, it's a bit bizarre. The world is changing. Yeah, indeed, the world is changing. Um, finally, for us this week, Dan, your free selection uh, is on Māori Plus, The Navigator of Medieval Odyssey. This looks very interesting indeed. 
Yeah, well, I got I got caught out tonight actually, uh, Emil, because my my first pick was a film from Netflix, which Netflix had made available for free on YouTube, and and I'd reviewed it a few months ago, and really enjoyed it, and I thought, oh, this is good. I can point people at this at this wonderful animated uh, family film with a great message. It's called Nimona, uh, and it's still there on uh, on on Netflix. But um, they only made it available for free for a week, and that week is up. So much as I would love to be able to point you at it, I can't anymore. So I, 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 we did a quick pivot. I think pivot is the word mm-hmm. uh, to The Navigator, which is one of the classic New Zealand films from 1988, um, made by Vincent Ward. And uh, and it's just a brilliant idea. Basically, it's the it's it's set in England in the 14th century during the Black Death, and uh, a, a group of uh, of Englishmen who have uh, uh, superstition, shall we say, and uh, a desperate faith that they are going to try and enlist to save them from this plague. Uh, they believe that if they can find the biggest church in all of Christendom and place a cross at the very uh, top of the spire, they will be saved from the plague. Uh, and they find themselves uh, going down a tunnel and emerging in modern-day Auckland in 1988. And Vincent Ward is one of the great visionary directors that New Zealand has, has had, and, uh, and he made this film for a number of reasons. One was to encourage those of us that were that are that are living in the modern world to actually see it through kind of medieval eyes and and and, and appreciate what we've got here but it's also got sort of anti-nuclear messages it's got um the fear of aids as a as a theme going through it but it's also um weird and funny and it was incredibly difficult to film it's basically all shot at night all shot in winter all the the English stuff was uh, shot down in uh, in the South Island in the Southern Alps, and it was freezing. Uh, I saw a quote from Werner Herzog who said after he saw it that, wow, that must have been really hard to make. And, and, and if Werner Herzog says that it was yeah. hard to make, it was hard to make, right? <laughs> I, I've got to say, like, I, I hadn't. I hadn't heard of this film. This is the first that I'm hearing about it today, Dan. But but it sounds like it was. It, it's a real, you know, sort of died in the wall Kiwi classic. This one. Yeah, and it, it a lot of Vincent Ward's films uh, were not hugely successful financially, and therefore uh, fell into kind of uh, inattention. And uh, I think it's uh, a credit to the New Zealand Film Commission that a film that. Uh, that that didn't make its money back by any stretch of the imagination. That they have gone to the trouble of uh, of, of restoring it and digitizing it and uh, and making it available so that we can watch it for free on Māori Plus. It's also available on Broly, but Māori Plus, uh, I think, is where we should go because we should be supporting in this week of all weeks. We should be supporting local uh, New Zealand owned media. Indeed, indeed. That's um, that's a really good point to make there, Dan. And uh, as always, lovely chatting to you about movies on a Friday night. Thanks very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. That's Dan Stephen Knight's resident film critic. He'll be back at the same time next Friday. Just to reiterate the choices there, uh, he has been uh, recommending Dune Part 2, which is in cinemas at the moment. Uh, he's also volunteered American Fiction, which you can find on Prime Video. 
uh, he's also recommended The Navigator of Medieval Odyssey, which, uh, as he mentioned, you can find on Māori Plus. And the fourth film that is not actually free, but apparently is very much worth watch, is Nimona, which I believe you can find on Netflix. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 